Life's a Mitch. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's a Mitchy podcast. Last week I spoke to Tate McGregor, former, or no, she's a current member of the entertainment industry, voiceover artist, TikTok star, all around nice person, so go back and check out my hot date with her. And this week, the audio might sound a bit faint because I'm, I'm on location and generally I do them over the interwebs, but uh, travel down to the nation's capital here, Canberra, for those of you who aren't Australians and don't know... That's actually not Sydney's now, not our capital, uh, Canberra is. Anyways, so this week's episode, I'm speaking to another member of the Twill Nation family, if you cast your minds back a little while ago. I've spoken to various members of the Twill community and the, and the host, Glenn. And um, yeah, so this week I've got an absolute champion. Uh, he's a lawyer, he's an NRL player manager, and he's an all-around champion bloke. I'd like to introduce Michael Redpath. How are you going today? G'day, mate. How's it going? I'd like to think I'd be the crown jewel of the Twill family so far. Uh, but other people might deny that, so we'll see. At least you don't look like a crown jewel. Hello! Let's <laughs> put me and Glennie together. Sholzy took a photo at Magic Round. We look like two human thumbs right next to each other. And Having a thumb wall? <laughs> One, two, three, four. I'll kick him in the shin and run. <laughs> so how are you today, mate? What's going on? No, it's great to have you here, and it's uh, nice to meet you for the first time as a fellow Tour Nation guy. It's, uh, it's a great community bit to be a part of, and there's lots of opportunities to go out and meet people and stay with people, so it's nice to be hosting you here, and it's just a shame you got through all my security to get in the front door. Yeah, well, he was saying to me if I got through it, there'll be some chance of back door, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, uh, we're talking for, oh gosh, probably a month now, and um, it's like, well, you know what, screw it. There's no harm in just saying what the, what the go is, shoot the shit, because we've been talking about doing this for a while. And it's like, well, fuck it, I like a road trip, you like beers. I'm sure there'll be beers after this. And I was like, well, mugger, make two, two, two birds, one stone, shoot the shit, and why not Why not have a crack? So Yeah, I think I flaked the first time, and then you wanted to level the playing fields, and you flaked the second time, and then here we are the third time. <laughs> Number three, Revenge of the Sith. For the old Star Wars fans. So I was going to say, call me Cadbury, because I flake always. But uh, <laughs> it's a horrible joke, moving on. So as you know, this podcast is, of, is made up of two great sections, and... I want to talk to you today about you know your career, the genesis of your, because you're a lawyer by trade, and you're also a player manager in the NRL competition, which is for all the international listeners, it's the rugby league. It's pretty much the pinnacle rugby league competition in the world. You would say, yeah, definitely. And uh, so Michael represents a couple of first graders and guys in different grades and those up and coming stars of tomorrow. So we'll talk about that and the genesis of how we got started. But first. Uh, this podcast is about having a good wind wine sook as well. I was wondering, would you mind joining me and having a bitchy with Mitchy this week? I'd love to, man. You want me to kick it off or do you want to go first? By all means, go for it. If you have something lined up, go. The one that's really been sticking to me is uh, I'm recently single and back on all the dating apps. Um, not all, all of them, but just a, just a couple of key clutch ones like your, your Bumbles and your Hinges and things like that. Bumble, Hinger, Grind, Grinder, whatever. <laughs> I'll take what I can get, mate. Uh, but... I'm seeing a lot of girls posting about their love of wine, like it's a personality trait. But then you meet up with them and all they do is drink like Moscato or Rosé. And it's like, hold up, you can't say you're a wine lover and, and be, that's one of the first three things you say about yourself. Like that's like if I say I'm a whiskey lover and then only drank Jack Daniels mixed. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> if I said I was a, like a vodka lover and I only had cruises, like it makes no fucking sense. I'm a, so I'm a wine connoisseur. I drink... <laughs> 
passion pop. Yeah. <laughs> I drink yellow. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I was like, oh, we'll go out to a wine bar or something. Like if that if you like wine so much, like, I'm not a wine snob at all. I think alcohol snobs are a bit pretentious. But just the way they talk about wine, you'd think that they'd be have a cellar or something, or they'd be collecting f- like fine bottles. But anything they drink wouldn't be over ten bucks. So anything like anything that anyone would buy them, or anything that over ten dollars, no. I, where I grew up, so I grew up in Newcastle, and I grew up near the Hunter Valley, which is a quite a prominently worldwide known, wine, like famous wineries across the world, and also now that I live in Orange, also known for having high end wines as well. No, fuck all about it. <laughs> I'm more of a beer guy, but I get what you're saying. It's funny you talk about The Hunter because I would have been about 19 or maybe 20 and my best mate and I, he lives in Sydney and he said, I found these cheap deals to go to The Hunter wineries. Hmm. And I was like, that's fantastic. Let's go there to pick up some girls. Anyway, we're on the bus with everyone and everyone's been super friendly to us. I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. Turns out they think me and my friend are gay and that's why we're going on a winery together. <laughs> and they said, which two 19-year-old boys go out to a winery together? And so we are like, oh, fuck. So, yeah, essentially we were, all day we are trying to, trying to kind of give off that we were ochre straight and things like that and it just came off the wrong way. <laughs> so, so it's like you're trying to overcompensate. So anti-gay, that, being, exactly. Yeah. So, like, you're two straight guys being mistakenly said that you're gay and you try to overcompensate by being straight it just turned out to be dickheads even though like i've got lots of gay friends i love gay people but obviously my friend and i went there to pick up so we were uh, against the eight ball straight away <laughs> mate i get myself in all sorts of all sorts of shit like i can do an incredibly like you know the flamboyant gay boys like hello michael how's it going <laughs> that's pretty um, good Not and bad. my like two two close friends of mine chris and andrew who have been on hit this year podcast they're in a same-sex relationship and you couldn't tell from the stereotypical because they don't look, talk like this. And I was I was out for dinner with them one night and they're two of their friends. And um, one of their friends spoke like this and uh, I just did it just being a smartass. And this guy by the name of Michael, funnily enough as well, he said, Mitch, I want to spit on your face. Then he went to the toilet and I said to my friend Chris, what the fuck, that's a bit rude. He says, Mitch, it's not rude, he wants to fuck you. I was like, oh, well, you could at least buy me dinner first. <laughs> Well, actually, the, the gay club in Canberra called Cube is a great place to pick up. But And I'll go there with all of my friends, but I'll routinely get hit on and no one else will. And I'm like, it's, uh, do I give off that sort of vibe? Surely not. Like, I don't think anyone sober has ever made that mistake. And but, but I don't know. I just go to Cube and then like they all flock to me. They buy me drinks and it's like, well, it's flattering. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, it's definitely not me. Have a go at this guy, ladies and gentlemen. So far up his own ass, no one else can get in there. <laughs> Well, it'd be nice if I had that, that much uh, attention from the females that I was looking for, but maybe that's why, because I'm not looking for them. I'm playing hard to get in their eyes. Maybe. Well, I'm, I'm also a single lad, and, um, you know, breakups are never easy. Uh, I, I was dating Girl in Orange for a few months this year, and uh, I didn't work out just due to, like, difference of opinion. Like, I'm a better communicator than she was, and you wouldn't hear from her. It's like, well, I can't go forward like this because it's just not on the same wavelength, so I called it. And then, like, you have to do what's right for you. So whatever reason the breakup happened, obviously it happened for a reason. Yeah. When you say your ex was a bad communicator, was she, like, on the Stephen Hawking computer, like, typing things? Like, is that how she spoke? Or? Well, no, not that bad, but that's... That, <laughs> gee, that's dark. <laughs> Sorry, you The got... only girls Mitch can pick up are the ones who can't walk. Thanks. <laughs> He's officially their carer as well, gets paid by Centrelink as such. Well, double payments, baby. No, she... <laughs> Come uh, no, off Thursdays, brother. <laughs> oh, uh, no, no, she was a lot. <laughs> no, she's a uh, psychologist and... Ah, oh, yeah, big, um, big red flag. Anyone that wants <laughs> to talk feelings all day? 
No, no go. All day, every day. But then, but then she couldn't express her own feelings. You're saying, but she could listen. It was, to that it was quite a, um, like from the professional life to the personal life. Like, I don't know. It was this quite. It's so opposite. It was so. I don't know. It was weird. But anyways, look, she's a lovely girl. Just not the one for me. Hold her head high, and we move on. Right. Yeah. My, so mine was uh, for a bit over five years. Um, so she was my second serious relationship. Um, the house we're sitting in right now, we bought together. Um, so it was a bit sad. We kind of just fell out of love. Like nothing really happened. Uh, that happens. Some of my friends say maybe it would be easy on her if you know someone had cheated. So at least there's a reason as to why. But it's kind of kind of sad that when we bought the house two years ago, we were crazy in love. And I thought she was the forever one. And then turns out she wasn't. Um, uh, I guess. I mean, I'd already lived with her and things like that. It wasn't just like a shock of suddenly moving in. Yeah. Because we rented together in a one bedroom apartment. So we were, we were always in each other's. Dude, you can grill. get through that. You can get through. Anything. Exactly. So. Yeah, it was, it was a bit a bit difficult, but I've come to terms with it and yeah, moved on, and I think she's doing all right. Well, you know, it's one of those things. Power of hindsight. Oh, I would have done this, this, and this differently. You know what? Fuck it. We are here now. You know, and COVID happened, and live with someone during COVID would have been hard to navigate through. But one bedroom apartment, you buy the house, and you do what you you think is right at the time. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's same with career, same with whatever else. But all I do know is that. A lot of the guys I've interviewed have all sort of said the common trend is you could either take your thoughts to the graveyard going, you know what, I've had a shit life, I should have done this, or you can make the moments count. Yeah, I'm trying to be a bit more spontaneous and kind of go with the flow as opposed to how planned out my life was all of a sudden after a pretty chaotic childhood where um, you know, I was always in trouble and always didn't know what was happening next. I didn't plan beyond the day I was in. Then all of a sudden I knew what was happening in the next 5, 10, 15, 20-year blocks. So. Yeah. Um, it's not to say that it isn't good to, to know those things, but the way it was going, I didn't like what my future was going to look like. I guess you could say you walked your own red path. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get, get out of here. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> well, that, no, that's a fair bitch to have. For me, I guess I'll also stay on the, the online dating thing, is that for me, I can't really go out with a girl unless she knows herself in terms of like emotional maturity. That's what I'm mostly attracted to, I think. And little things like knowing maybe what your love languages might be or um, knowing what kind of person you want to go for. There's nothing more frustrating than one when you message a girl after you match with her and say, oh, hey, how's it going? She's like, good. And then you get no response <laughs> after that. Or like well, the conversation's so forced and like, hey, fuck this. Or two, oh, yeah, what are you on here for? Oh, I'm not sure. Just testing the waters. For me, like, I know what I want. And if they don't, that's fine. But I, that's not, they're not for me. No, I don't like when they change the script on you. Like when I first became single, I said, I'm just literally looking for fun and casual. And they'd say, me too. And then date one, we get together. And then date two, they're like, so what does it mean now? Are we serious? And I say, no, we're not. Like, nothing's changed in the last day. Like, yes, we had sex, but that doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm going to go straight back into a relationship when I was only, only pretty fresh at the time. So I found a lot of them would be disappointed when I'd stick to my guns and say, no, this can only be casual. Um so, I mean, a lot of them, even if I was looking for something serious, none of them would have fit the bill anyway, so... Yeah, well, that's... We have to... I don't believe when I tell you this. So, there was a phase in my life, okay? My first long-term girlfriend and I, we dated for about three years, and I was... We broke up while the time I was 21, so still young, very naive. And I used to go to Edgeworth Tavern, which is a pub in Newcastle. Shout-outs to the Lake Macquarie folk back home. Um, and the alumni there were known for not being as high-caliber, and anyways, a couple of scrappers, actually. 
And uh, nothing wrong with a scrapper, mate. Keeps oh, you honest, mate. Oh, dead set. Oh, it was ridiculous. Anyway, so um, my mates would look at me making out with these women. Go, medium. That's my nickname. What are you doing, mate? And um, they just sort of like look away in disgust. And they started calling me Lancelot. I'm like, why? Why Lancelot? I said, bro. You have slayed a few beasts. Your cock is Excalibur. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, so this one night, this is this happened for about six months, and this was the crystallizing moment where I thought, fuck, I need to end this phase of my life. So I go home with this girl from the pub, and we get back to the house she's staying in, and she was staying with her auntie. Anyways, so the auntie's having sex with a guy that I know, and she had a really, really, like, husky sort of deep voice interested and she's the door was slightly open or you can or you can hear i swear this is exactly how it said all you can hear is keep fucking pounding me do your best to me come on <laughs> oh, that is fine <laughs> i'm like oh fuck what am what, i doing what here? Do I have oh, I, I got the world's first erection that grew inside of myself <laughs> and, and yeah, i'm a bit turned on i have oh, to admit oh stop dropping roll mitch you're on fire pal and so then we went, we proceeded to the room she was staying in. And I think that was the start of me starting to sober up because she had a deeper voice. Oh, it was matched. And she or said, beaten. she said, I want you to do the same to me. Make yourself comfortable. Go and have a shit. Oh, yeah, no, nah, that's, that's me out, dog. Trying to, trying to talk to me with a partial open door. So make yourself comfortable. And you can hear the plonk. And I'm like, fuck, what am, what am I doing here? So... I asked what her digits were to a phone, unlock her to put music on. She told me. I changed my number in her phone, then I fucking ran. <laughs> That's clutch. I like that. Uh, it's clever. You could have just waited and blocked her, but you didn't want to see what that next message was to Where'd you go? Where'd you go? <laughs> Fuck. All right. And that was the end of the beast slave phase. So... It's a bit of a vulgar story, but that's who, who I was back then. I, I used to go by the, the phrase, not Hakuna Matata, but more standards are for losers. And then I got a bit older and I was like, actually, no, nah, standards are fair and uh, they make you feel a lot better about yourself in the, that, in the long run. You so. know what? I bet every single woman I've been with probably says that to himself <laughs> then afterwards. Oh, what what have I done? Standards are not for losers. <laughs> exactly. It makes you think about it. But I know a lot of my friends who were like very good looking when we were younger and then they just never got with any girls or they get with the occasional hot girl and that's it. Um, and now they've obviously they've aged and things like that and they, the only girls they could get with are the ones that aren't as... As pretty and they still have this standards rules so they never have any sex ever because they're still trying to chase hotties when they're they themselves have dropped off yeah. so i think a lot of they'd be living life with a lot of regret i think fuck that my my philosophy was quantity not quality <laughs> <laughs> well if you get a lot of quantity when you do get the quality you know exactly what you're doing a lot yep. of practice oh mate oh. so i did an episode with a sexologist and we spoke about like i listened to that one i enjoyed it that- how many women I've been with and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's Three? Dumb. Four? And a little bit more. Okay. And uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, the number is triple digits at this point. And it's... And I was like... Going into it, I was like feeling disgusted and gross by it. It's like, who does that? She's like, you should be empowered. Triple digits isn't bad. So, like, you're 30-something? 30, 30... 32, yeah. 32. Like, say if you put back 10 a year for 10 years, that's 100. That's not heaps. Like, 10 not a really. year isn't... One every five weeks in a year, isn't, that's not heaps. I'm, um, well, I'm, I've been single for most of my adult life, so... Yeah, exactly. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, no, nah, it's not a crazy number. If you were, like, 21 and you had 100, then that's pretty pretty good. Yeah, but I don't know. But we spoke about it, and it's like, well, that's my story, and fuck, like, everyone... 
everyone's different. So instead of doing a walk of shame, I do the stride of pride. <laughs> the stride of pride. And then we do the transition. So we'll talk about, I, I, I always feel like good after a good bitch, a good whinge wine sook. And I'll use that into a transition because you're a, a lawyer and a current NRL player agent and your agency is called Strive Player Agency. Is that right? That's correct. So what a transition. That was as smooth as my bald head. Dead set. <laughs> All right. Flawless. And we'll talk about like, your professional journey, your red path, if you will. But on Tish, fuck off. You've made that joke already, mate. It doesn't matter. It still made you smile. So I guess just kick things off. What was the genesis of your lawyering career, and how did you, how did it actually get started, and why why the law for for a living? Like why why was that the path for you? Well, my old man was a lawyer. Um, him and I were never really that close, but. He did used to take me in for work experience and things like that. Um, and the work experience would involve going down to the holding cells when he was a criminal lawyer and, you know, interviewing clients and seeing how that all worked. He'd come home and tell me about, he had a murder trial at one stage and he was telling me all about that and I got really invested in that. So I always thought uh, I'd love to be a criminal lawyer. Now, I never actually became a criminal lawyer. I'm only three years since being admitted to become a lawyer and it might still happen, but I was always just, I loved crime. I mean, everyone loves crime. That's why true crime podcasts and crime gets played on the news. Like, you know, that's that's why it's all so popular. Every, so it all makes, it makes sense because it's sexy. Every person I speak to, do you like podcasts? Oh, true crime ones are good. Yours is okay, but true crime ones are amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. So I, I don't know, I was always quite litigious and I liked oral advocacy and things like that as well as written advocacy. Uh, but to, to be fair... Uh, I used to actually want to be a soccer player and you know I was growing up I was did some rep soccer and made a lot of teams and trained my ass off so that's what I really wanted to be and then the realization when especially in Australia there's there was no real market for it the A-League was really tiny back then and there was no real pathways to Europe uh so I, I decided probably when I was about 16 that that's not that wasn't going to happen and then I kind of floated aimlessly for a few years and just kind of as I was saying earlier just didn't really think about the next day and was just living to have fun and, and whatnot. And yeah, eventually when I got on the straight and narrow, I was like, actually want to go to university and study law. Fair enough. Well, you know, I played some soccer growing up, a little bit of league as well, and I was shit at both. I uh, imagine you as a soccer player. You couldn't? No. I even played all age this year for in Orange. Oh, really? What position? Keeper? Oh, no, I'm a defender. See, there we go. Fat jokes again. Dead set. <laughs> oh, fuck yourself, Redpath. You'd be a good futsal keeper. A lot of the goal would be, you know. Actually, I, I was a good futsal uh, indoor keeper. Yeah. And I kept us to a grand final win. I got hit in the nuts three times for a shootout. That's the problem with, with goalkeeping in futsal. I used to be a good futsal goalkeeper too because I had cat-like reflexes growing up. Um, because I was also, uh, as well as being a soccer player, I was a tennis player and I like, played a lot of table tennis and things like that. So my reflexes were nuts. So they put me in goals as well. But you just cop the ball to the face, to your nuts, everywhere. Oh, I just about had my shaft re-twisted in a cannon again. <laughs> my, I still think there was one impact that my left nut got hit right on the, like, right in square in the middle of it. And it still hurts this day thinking about it. But we won that and we got a $200 gift voucher to... Uh, re-sign our team for the following season so <laughs> between think, between eight of you to one yeah so we just re-signed the team and we come back second last the following because we went up a grade and, anyway championship you know, hangover mate that happens to all the best teams oh that yeah that that's the serve that's it. have you heard the servo story no so this happened as i was going to play indoor one night and i couldn't get there because i was so excited as to what happened the, so apologies listeners you've heard this one a thousand times but one night, driving in into soccer, put into the service station, used pump number two to fill up, walked in to pay for said fuel. 
this little old lady in front of me speaking to the attendant. She says, excuse me, where's the toilet? And he pointed just out there near the bathroom, like near the entrance, so I physically had to walk past this woman. Now, he instinctively says the number of the pump out loud to whoever's walking in. He just looks at me and goes, number two. And she's still in earshot. She goes, as a matter of fact, you fucking pervert, I'm doing a number one. What's it to you? <laughs> oh, what the fuck? It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I got there, I was like, you won't believe what happened. And I told him, we all giggled, and we got beat about 9-0. So it was a good night. I <laughs> started on a high and then just <laughs> got pummeled. Uh, but yeah, that's... That, oh, I was legit. I just actually just give a so my best friend Alex and he's and another good friend Sarah. They just got married. They're they're pretty much family at this point. And I told that in a lead up, and then told some more funny stories during the speech. Ed killed. Everyone giggled. I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Feeling good about myself. And uh, we moved on. So yeah, that's my story. <laughs> Beautiful. Yes, yeah, so I did play soccer mostly more soccer than footy growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um... Yeah, I mean, because I was like a kind of fit soccer player, skinny six-pack type of guy. I liked footy, and I was good at touch footy, but I was useless in, in league and things like that just because, I mean, I was super fast and super fit from soccer, so I could play on the wing, but defense, I was, you know, I was probably like 60 kilos, so I'll just get trampled. Yeah, I was never a, I was never a winger, like short and fat. <laughs> Played in the centers a bit. Uh, had a crack at lock. Yeah, mostly a center and was garbage, but anyways. Yeah, I only ever played school carnivals and that with, with the boys, and even then... Was this, yeah, it wasn't particularly good, as opposed to when I played the soccer carnivals and dominate. So it was weird playing a sport uh, where you, you weren't really good at it and didn't train for all the time, so it felt a bit unnatural to me. That's how a lot of the guys that I play with, like because we all played soccer as juniors, and then because the, the, in West Falls End there's about 4,000 people in the community, and the soccer field's right next to the footy field, and they just sort of all went over in bulk when I was there about 12 or 13, and a few years later I was like, oh, I'll go over, give it a crack, and I did three or four seasons with them yeah Anyways, right. had good fun um and to this day i still keep in contact with a few of them it's what's this 20 odd years later almost 20 years later so yeah it's a bit like that it can be pretty communal but i guess how i got into uh enjoying rugby league is i think i said i had a fractured relationship with my father growing up so all of my heroes were all athletes and uh one of them was darren lockyer just watched him on the tv and just loved him and wanted to be him and things like that are you a queenslander no, not a Queenslander. I'm just from like Canberra, him. born and bred. Just uh, whereas at the time, um, in the early 2000s, when I was first started watching it, Canberra were putrid. My old man would take me to games sometimes because his work sponsored it, and he, he he liked AFL, so he was he was never pressuring me to like the Raiders. But basically, no one was there. It was freezing, terrible atmosphere. The Raiders' atmosphere these days is a lot better. A lot of people go. They got that stupid Viking clap that brings people to, together. But Ooh. yeah, a hundred percent. If that was going in the early two thousands, I probably would have supported the Raiders. But there was just no atmosphere. And I watched Darren Lockyer live. I think he scored a hat trick. I think it was two thousand and one or two thousand and two. And I was like, yeah, that's the guy. And then he'd always be on TV because the Broncos were always on TV. And yeah, I just loved loved Lockyer growing up. So that's why I started going for them. Uh, generational player, like yeah, that's right. I mean, soccer was Stephen Gerrard for Liverpool, so I'm a big Liverpool Steve, fan. I'm, a, I'm, you'll never know. That's why I actually lived in Liverpool for a while. Oh, that's sick. Oh, and there was uh, my first game. I went to watch them play Everton. So for those of you who are unaware, it's a two-team town. Uh, Everton's on the separated by the river, isn't separated it? Separated by the Mersey River. Yeah. Anyway, so you you, you see, we went to Enfield because they played at Liverpool's home home ground, and you see the members of the same family. So half were wearing blue, half were in red, and it was unreal, man. Like in scout and Scouser territory, go Liverpool, go Everton. <laughs> it's and disgusting. Like, it's the first time I heard the Scouser accent when I heard a Gerald interview. I was like, I still love you, even though, even though you <laughs> even though you sound like that. Oh, and it's, it's hard to believe they're speaking English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I tell you, like a tint, like just speaking about Tinder just before. So when I moved to England, I didn't know many people. So I hop on Tinder and try and meet people and whatever. So I 
I organised to meet a girl in a coffee club, I think it was called, or some sort of coffee shop. And we're chatting, and it was going relatively well. And it was the stereotypical orange fake tan, the tight dress, the teeth going everywhere. It was horrendous anyway. Something out of Geordie Shore. Uh, yeah, kind of. That's a similar part of the world, isn't it? And um, she said, can you do me a favour? I'm like, what's that? She said, oh, I'm sure I'll rent this week. Can I borrow 60 quid? I'm like... 60 quid? You mean English pounds? Is that like 140 Australian dollars? Yeah, something like that. Go fuck yourself. You haven't even blown me, no. I thought, I didn't say this to her, I thought this to myself. I'm like, you've done nothing to earn that. I said, no, like, I'm having travelled halfway across the world to pay your rent and not at least, like, get a finger in me bum or something. Do you only think she was going to invest it for you? Oh, I don't know, mate. I don't know. Either way, it doesn't matter. Give you some returns? It doesn't matter, (laughs) yeah. From behind, <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, moving on. Um, yes, yeah, so that's how I became a lawyer. That was a very yeah. roundabout way of getting there. But um, yeah, essentially, I wanted to want to do something in sports as an athlete, and then I, I decided I wanted to be when I was time to be like, okay, I need to get an actual job. Yeah. So I wanted to be a corporate drone and, and a lawyer. So how many years? How many years of studying is it to be a lawyer in New South Wales or ACT? So I did half my study in Queensland. Um, up in the Gold Coast, which was fantastic. Uh, and then I moved back to Canberra, which wasn't as fantastic. Um, but it usually takes about four years, and it is a long degree. But in Queensland, they do trimesters. And in ACT, you can do winter and summer units. So I banged it all out in two and a half years. Oh, just what, six units a semester or more? Yeah, basically like that sort of model and just smashed it all out. Because, yeah, I wasn't very good at school. I was always in trouble, things like that. But I was always smart. So I thought the longer I stick around and study, the... Uh, the less chance I'll have of finishing it. So I just decided, because I'm a very driven person, I decided I'm just going to stack it and just have two to three years of hell and finish it, which is what I did. Sweet. I, was, I wasn't bad at school. I was never really in trouble. I was a nice kid. But I've never... Well, these days, I'm semi-intelligent, but back then, didn't care. It's all about video games and drinking beers underage. So. <laughs> well, I did some of that too. But yeah, I was just king of the rat bags when I was a kid. Just always getting suspended, always... You know, the one time I tried to go to private school, I got expelled from there after seven weeks, which was a real, real winner with my family. Um, but yeah, eventually I mellowed out um, towards the later end of school, and that had a lot to do with smoking a shit ton of weed. <laughs> but then I stopped smoking weed as well, and then I just remained pretty mellow. And my problems I used to have with authority were suddenly gone, and just because I was, you know, a young man by that time. So yeah, fair enough. I've, you know, I've obviously delved in the weed over the years, but. You know, being in the MI or the mining industry now for the best part of a decade now, I suppose. Now you're just smoking ice. Yeah, it's the connoisseur in the glass barbecue. <laughs> no, I no, I never touch that shit. Um, yeah, I can't do it. Like if I do any drugs, it, you know, I, I get tested. And these days, I'm silly enough after a couple of beers, so I'm pretty mellow. As soon as you turn thirty, I don't know what it's like to be forty. Maybe I'll have to ask you about it, Glennie. But um, you know, as soon as you turn thirty, you just sort of mellow out a beard and I now moved to Orange and I don't I have some family there but predominantly I'm there by myself and it can be challenging um, living in a town you don't know many people but it is what it is you got to keep marching forward and when your focus shifts to other areas like maybe doing something like this or another passion project your desire to want to get on the gear or whatever sort of diminishes yeah of course you've actually got responsibilities and obligations you don't want to be hung over or scattered for three days <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And like my talking about rugby league, like I become a rugby league fan because when I at school um, as a kid, the country rugby league was doing like a like a 
rugby league in schools fucking program and uh, they come to our school and David Peachy and I think oh, I can't remember who else was there um, like, taught me how to pass the ball and it's like oh this guy seems okay and um, it was I think it was a few weeks later it was the same year that when someone what the dog scored a try against him and he shook old mate's hand who scored against him I'm like oh that's a good sportsman and it's like oh. so I found out David Peachy was also born in Dubbo like myself so like, oh fuck I'll go for them yeah, so I mean, I've been a Sharks fan since the 90s. So a similar story to me, you attach yourself to a player and then as a result you attach yourself to a team. Yeah, so the peach for me got me to be a Shark and then I started liking players after him. Love him or hate him, I was a gal fan. Yeah. I don't, boxing gal, maybe not, but player gal. Oh yeah. look, he's a servant to your club. It's, it's hard to say because it happens all the time in other sports where you move clubs a lot. Like in the NBA especially where players just always move teams. There's been players that I've absolutely hated. So I go from the Miami Heat, and I used to always hate Jimmy Butler. Um, but then he suddenly moved to my team, and I was like, holy shit, this guy's a dog. Like, he's competitive, and like he works his ass off. And even though he's scrappy, when he's your scrapper, it's a lot different. So I understand why Sharks fans love Gal, and you can understand why non-Sharks fans don't. Well, same for when Mick Ennis comes to the club, too. <laughs> I actually always liked Mick Ennis. When he was mugging off the Raiders that time, that was so funny, because, you know, as, as I say, I don't particularly like the Raiders. Um, I think their fans are some of the worst in the country. Biggest nuffies um, <laughs> up there with Eels fans. I don't really know many Raiders fans. My young nephew Harry's a Raiders fan, so he's probably the only one I like. Good on you. How are you, Harry? They're just very delusional, is what I find. And like, I actually don't mind talking to people like Solzy who get what's going on. Hey, so, what's up? What's up, Solzy? Solzy was another episode on this. So Solzy, Sammy Haywood, Timmy McIntyre, Glennie. I think I don't think I'm leaving any other Twillies I've spoken to. If I have, sorry, that's all I can think of. Top of my head. Oh, and uh, sorry, what's your pooch's name? Uh, Jasper. Jasper's doing the rounds and moving chairs and having fun. So, hello, Jasper. Hope he's well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so where were we? Canberra fans, the blight of the NRL. Yeah, fair enough. They're not the blight of the NRL. I just think yeah, they're, they're the biggest nuffies in the sense they don't actually understand what's really going on. And they're so fair weather as well because the stadium is freezing for most of the year. Oh, so when, shit, yeah, it would be. When they're not actually doing well, you'll never see any of them. Plus, when they are doing well, you see so many people with brand new jerseys. Um, and then all of a sudden, the butchers are selling green sausages and the whole town goes mad. And it's like, well, wait a second. You guys are never there in the tough times. But, you know, that grand final year, for instance, or when they made that late run this year, all of a sudden everyone was bleeding green and hashtag and we the Raiders and... Yeah, I just hate it. It's so disgusting watching it go because I go to all the games regardless. I love live NRL. Yeah, me too. Whenever I go somewhere, whether be it Sydney or Brisbane and anywhere like that, I'll always go to an NRL game, try and link it up just because I love the live footy. I think it's that because I grew up in a one-team town in Newcastle and you get the whole town behind you. Now, talking about glass barbecues and fucking shit fans, fuck me. Right. They're loyal fans, though. They are loyal, but... 20,000 will rock up when they're bottom of the table, so I commend Newcastle fans. Oh, some some Newcastle fans are like actually, he's a I'm close friends with that one of the founders of Newcastle, Lee Morn. I'm um, good friends with his daughter and her partner Greg, and uh, they're like an uncle and auntie to me. And knowing Lee over the years, uh, he's opened up about some of the amazing stories of the Knights' inception. And um, yeah, he was a, used to be a sportscaster for Channel Nine or Channel Three back then. Awesome. And he was yeah one of the founding fathers of the first grade. Knights team, so yeah, it's, it was an interesting story. But anyways, he can tell it better in his words. But have hope, to get him on. I, I've been meaning to, but I don't know if he's up for it. 
um, he's a he's in his eighties now, so yeah, that's right. You almost have to explain what a podcast is before you, <laughs> you kind of offer it to him. Yeah, well, I, I've I've inquired about it. We'll see how we go. But if if not, and then Matty Johns has spoken about it a bit on his podcast, you know, talking about the night stays. Anyways, that's let's not get off brand. So, okay, so you've been lawyering for this point now for what five years before you decided to start as an NRL player manager is that right nice i've only been a lawyer for three years three, so and it was, it was about it was about after one year that um i decided i wanted to do it yeah my memory's horrible so i just driven four hours no it's okay and how i wanted to become an NRL player manager is you know given my my background as a soccer player and things like that i always thought oh i wish that i had someone opening doors for me because there was all these players that were either as good as me or maybe just as good or maybe i was better than them but about my level of talent and they'd all be getting trials overseas from their connections now none of them made it so maybe i wouldn't have made it, made it if i had those said, said things but yeah there's a lot of them that had doors opening for them and i never did so i actually thought one day i'd love to try and open doors to people in some way whether or not it's my own child um or whether or not someone else's um so yeah that that was sort of always in the back of my mind and then one of my good friends he's an older lawyer i like to call him a mentor but he, he didn't really teach me other than by he kind of taught me by example and I'd kind of watch him and adopt his mannerisms in, in some sense, or at least learn from them. Um, he said he wanted to do the player management stuff. And basically I, said, I looked into myself and I thought, oh, you know what, I'd be good at this too. I've got legal background. He, he was also had a sporting background in the past. So I figured we'd do it together. And then basically things changed. He got sick and then never did it. But because I'd already done all the, the groundwork, I was like, fuck it, I'm doing it. So what is what are the, for those of us who have no idea, what are the prerequisites to becoming a player manager? Uh, there's no age one other than you have to be over, I think it's 21. Uh, otherwise, you just have to complete a business plan, like an actual business plan that tells about how you're going to grow it and how it's going to be run and getting your ABN and things like that mm. um, and how all your insurances and stuff like that. Then there's a bit of a test, which is mainly ethics, uh, which you have to get a certain percentage, and then they do a phone interview. Um, from there, there's also an orientation where they sort of weed out some people who are still at the final hurdle but they're in more of a group environment and from there you can still get told no we don't think you're worthy um, yeah, okay so that that's how it all works and then once if you pass all of those things you start your own business um, get get an avn and acn the company of business and all of a sudden you're away and you're an accredited agent an avo or an avn <laughs> you get a couple of avos with, with a couple <laughs> of your players and uh that's what that's what you bond over no nah, but Depends yeah to, you represent us yeah <laughs> So to be a, a player manager, um, it's just, but you have to go through all, all those steps. So you, you, you go through all that process, they wean out the people, and then is it, you do the test through the NRL themselves or the RLPA, or who is it that you have to be accredited by? The NRL themselves. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a Rugby League Player Agents Association, and there's an N, head of the NRL that um, that kind of look oversees that. So they, they're the arbiter of everything, and if you misbehave or break any rules you have to go before them fair enough so can you this might sound like a dumb question can you represent players in reserve grade and not the nrl or is it you're accredited for across the entire board across the entire board so i have people in reserve grade i have people in 21s 19s 17s um all the way down to your, your because you can't sign someone until they're 15 basically but okay. so you can get people in the under 15s as well so it, it is all across the board and they have to sign an agreement with you um there's a different agreement if you're under under 18 the young player and agent, well, obviously the parents sign it and things like that because yeah. you can't execute a contract when you're, you're a minor. 
Um, but then the yeah, so you I can. can I'm over. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a gold miner. See this. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Yeah. So essentially, anyone anyone can sign up above the age of fifteen, and they could be a park footballer. I could sign them and try and get them somewhere if they really wanted to. Yeah. So okay, talking spoke about how you got started, how you get involved. But okay, so let's take it to the date that Strive Player Agency begins. So before you went into it, had you have approached any players and had any um, any contracts organised by this point or after you started that's when you started to approach people yeah so I started with zero clients so what's a player manager with no clients isn't just some, some bloke yeah useless yeah yeah so I was just going around to a lot of schoolboy carnivals I was going around uh, to a lot of weekend games and it was very difficult trying to convince your first person to sign with you when you're brand new uh, being a lawyer helped because a lot of them would think to themselves oh you know if he's a lawyer then at least he'll be ethical or your things like that. I mean, a lot of lawyers aren't, but uh, and that's that was your selling point. Y- yeah, basically it was, and that I also said that like kind of you have to trust me, and it'll all be fine. So a couple of my OG ones, I'm about to re-sign because um, it's been two years, a bit over two years since I've been a player manager, and the agreements are all usually for two years that I have with my players. Yep. So a couple of the OGs will re-sign um, soon, which is super exciting, and it's great that to know that I've been their manager for two years, given I've only been doing it for two years and maybe three or four months. Uh, and then it's just slowly started to snowball. I did a good job for the first couple. They told their friends, did, did a bit of advertising, but not really. And then it's all just word of mouth. And now people seek me out um, in particular. So you know, that, that's they say the best form of advertising is through word of mouth. So who you don't have to name who your first client was, but so you found your first client during like what, going to a junior game somewhere? Or? Yeah, that's right. He, he was in the uh, SG Ball uh, game, which is under 19s for the rep. Like he was repping, um, he was playing for the Thunderbolts, which is the Storm Feeder team. And okay. I kind of just approached him and got got to talking. It took a while to convince him, and then we were away. Cool. So, okay, so you fast forward two years. How many players do you have now on your books? Uh, 65. Fuck me, dead. Yeah, nice. Quite a number. Uh, that, as I said, range all the way from 15 to. You know, thirty, and there's girls in there as well now, uh, which is which is great. Well, the um the NRLW has four teams in next year, in the Sharks, the Tigers, the Raiders, and the Titans. No, the Titans are already in it. The Titans are already in. I believe they're up to about nine or ten now. That's right. Yeah. So uh, the Tigers, the Knights, but anyways, more locals, and the opportunity to represent. You know, there's a you're in Canberra, the Canberra team going. So, anyways, yeah, it's um must be a crazy time seeing all your players and all your all clients succeed and it must be pretty heartwarming to see them go and do things like the one client I know you do represent is Saliva Havili and you know he spent a bit of time like sort of like as the Raiders backup hooker yeah backup hooker and kind of like a utility forward yeah, yeah. and now he's you know a, a weekly starter for first grade for the Bunnies yeah it's been fantastic watching him transition to one of the powerhouse clubs because the Bunnies are always in the final four um, they are one of the strongest clubs and a very successful club so it's fantastic watching him thrive there, and uh, I'm actually in my first process of uh, negotiating an extension for him, so to get keep him signed there. So, I, you know, negotiating the initial contracts one thing, but to meet with them before the one November deadline to discuss an extension, this was all new to me. Yep. And I went to down to Gold, or sorry, I should say up to Goulburn, and that's where the Rabbitohs recruiter met me for lunch to discuss the numbers. We didn't quite get there, but we we're within the same ballpark, and I'm hoping to finalise that. In the next couple of days, which is exciting. Well, that was that was my next question was because um, I, I used to live in Goulburn for a bit. Shout out to the in, the, in the jail. Yeah, Supermax. 
Oh, well, clearly didn't work. No, I, I, Dad used to work in the abattoirs there, and um, yeah, he used to, for a year lived there, and Mum and him called it quits, and every school holidays we go back and see him. So, actually, first year of I played sport was in Goulburn. Uh, it was under seven soccer. Anyways, moving on. Irrelevant. I used so to, we used to burst the Goulburn soccer team. There was always some pretty nuts locals, and it was one of those stadiums where you could. One there was one whole row of cars, so there's people just on their horn the entire time while oh, you were playing. I remember my first game. We'll get back to it shortly, but my first game there was frost on the pitch. It's a cold place you're unfamiliar. You had to use a red ball. It's just because it was just sleet and you couldn't. It, white ball went anyways. Irrelevant. Um, okay, so I was going to ask you like if you come up and you you got to talk about contract extensions or whatever with an NRL club. So you sit down. They have their own recruitment team. Will you have to meet with Jason Demetrio or anyone personally, or is it all done through their recruitment staff itself, or how does it all work? Well, I had a player sign a training trial with the Raiders, uh, Joshy Allen, who's a very talented up-and-comer. Uh, when I went to go discuss that with their, the Raiders recruiter, I actually met Ricky Stewart and someone else, one of their other big wigs, at a cafe yeah, for cool. that. Um, when I met the Rabbitohs one recently in person, he basically just had instructions from Jason Demetrio. He wasn't going to drive down to Goulburn. Yeah, um, just because I said I, could, I didn't have the time to drive to Sydney and back. Yeah. So they we kind of they said we'll meet halfway, and that's how that came about. That's fair. But I'm sure if I'd gone to Sydney, I would have met them all at Redfern. So the recruiter is in charge of all of that, but usually there'll be some sort of you know general manager, or there'll be a head coach or an assistant coach, someone else there as well. To so there's kind of a third party as well. Not that they're going to mediate because they're on the side of the club. Yeah. But it, it does kind of help having when when you're going one on one, just talking numbers, it can be a bit intense. Well, yeah, I suppose, uh, you, you know, you, you hear you hear player contract, you hear players all the time walking out on their clubs because they're unhappy with the contract, etc., etc. Now, I guess going into it, the last thing you'd want is to have the reputation of being, as being a greedy manager trying to get nothing but numbers, you know, like, it's, you know, you hear, I know it's a very, very shit thing to sort of bring it up, but you hear those like Braith and Astor or, or NRL 360 or you know, those footy programs like that, they talk about, like, player contracts and, you know, you take your David Fafita going from Brisbane to the Titans, offered, you know, monstrous-sized money. But at the end of the day, how much success will the Titans have as opposed to Brisbane's say? So you got to, I guess, some of the things you'd have to talk about are, is the player going to be happy with a, with a bigger club for less or a lesser club for more? It depends what stage you are in your career. It was yeah. interesting with him because he was really on the rise and he's still quite young to this day. Yeah. But he decided he wanted the money very early on and perhaps he thought he could bring them success. You never know. Yeah. I think they are all wired in a way where they think they that they can be the match winner regardless of who they are. Because yeah. every NRL player would have been the best player in their team for multiple years or at least one of the best. Yeah. So even the ones that come into the NRL and they're sort of, I don't want to call them passengers, but they're probably in the bottom three players on their team, they still have a killer mentality as if they are the best. So maybe for, uh, in, in his case, he did think he was going there to change the culture and win. Or maybe he just thought he was getting a big fat paycheck, which was about 500 grand more than the Broncos could offer. So Yeah, well, I mean, never having played NRL first grade, I can't comment, but like, you've got a limited window, so why not try and get the best money you can? No, I mean, I get it. Players have got to have a livelihood and they want also want success and whatever comes with the game, but I've got no idea what I'm talking about here. Well, I think... In Australia, it's say if you're for feeding, you're making 1.2, 1.3, whatever he makes. If you get that for a number of years, that's generational wealth. Whereas if you're talking in the hundreds of thousands, that's not quite generational. Uh, it's not like American sports where they say, oh, he took a haircut on his contract. 
because the haircut on their contracts, you know, 17 million to 14 million. Yeah. So it's economies of scale, uh, as opposed to the Australian markets where we're talking in hundreds of thousands and not usually a million plus. Fucking salary caps, eh? Yeah, I know. I know. But if there wasn't salary caps, it'd be like the English Premier League and then just be four good teams at any time and that, the rest would be shit. Yeah, true. I've, now, I've heard, I heard uh, on the other night you were speaking about this with the boys about, like, not knowing what the figures, facts and figures might be. So I listened to um, Five Tackles with Gus as well, and, you know, he was talking about the similar thing. It's like, well, you don't know what the salary cap's going to be. And he's like, well, it makes it hard to manage a roster because, you know, you might want to do extensions and maybe up a player's salary a bit, but you don't know, you know, what the final figure for the salary cap's going to be. Uh, the, the difficulty is, too, that uh, they're going to bump all the minimum contracts up when they bump the salary cap up. So say if the salary cap goes up 500 grand, well, really, they're going to lose probably half of that to bumping up all the minimum guys. So it's not just an extra 500 in your pocket. It's just the lower end is getting looked after a bit more. So yeah, okay. that makes it a bit more difficult when, say, if you have a, a big-name player and all of a sudden they go, hold up, I want I want 200 grand of that myself. And you're like, well, actually, a lot of it's going to have to go into the, the other players because that, that's what the RPA is meant to do. They're trying to look out for everyone. They're just, they're just trying to make it fairer. It, exactly, yeah. especially when the minimum at the moment is you know, 90,000-odd. Is it, is it, I was going to ask you what it was, but fair enough. Yeah, that's the there's a low minimum of that where there's three players or two players that can make that, and then the other minimums because there's two minimum basically um, based on where you are in the top thirty, and the other one's about a hundred and ten. So I think they want those numbers to be one thirty and one fifty or something as well. So all of a sudden, that's what I'm saying. If you have to give four or five people that, then that chews up about two hundred grand. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. So yeah, and yeah, as Gus was speaking as well, he said that you know some players don't know what they want to do you know come november 1st you expect to know your facts and figures and which is the cutoff date for those of you who aren't listening so us who are listening and don't know fuck i'm on fire today yeah one thing i'd have liked about my um about strive is that back when i first started every time i called a club i'd have to introduce myself and that they i'd say my name where i was calling from and that wouldn't help them at all but at least they know who they were talking to yeah. but now a lot of the clubs call me and they have my number and i don't have to be like oh hi it's michael from Strive player agency and things like that. So I actually have working relationships with a lot of the bigger names in football. I'm obviously not going to start name dropping them. But no, you don't need to do that. But all I mean is that it's actually nice to be recognised and be a bit more prominent. Well, you've achieved all this in two years. Imagine after five or ten or whatever. Exactly. I mean, one day it'd be great if it was my main income or my main occupation. Um, at the moment, I still work five days a week as a lawyer. Maybe be be called to work as four or three and balance it out a bit more I think that would be the perfect work life balance mm. oh you got to do what makes you happy and chase like yeah chase that inner life because we all love the game and you know if you didn't happen to know people at the Sharks <laughs> I'll hopefully go and watch a Sharks game with you uh, but you know so two years in going well got players of all grades so what's next for Strive like you, you said you've got the contract coming up the renegotiation but what, what does next year look like for you Next year, it's still looking to grow the brand and keep signing a lot of great junior talents and up-and-comers and eventually try and um, go into the market where I'm approaching NRL players who already, I mean, obviously coming off contract with their managers, you can't approach play if they have a manager. There's anti-poaching rules. Yeah, okay. But tr- yep. Trying to catch more wind of actual first graders and say, look, this is what I have behind me and trying to grow it that way instead of, I mean, I'm sure naturally there's going to be a couple of guys that transition to become NRL players soon, but I think I've... Given my reputation in the market, because there's a lot, there's a lot of scabby player managers that no one likes, but still have a lot of clients. So, that the, sucks. they're the, exactly it does suck. But they're the types of guys who, when their players go off contract with them, they're the types of guys you can approach and say, "Look, 
I think I can offer you something a lot better that will help you with your future and actually yeah. help you out. So it's really about continuing to grow it. Um, I've considered getting other people on board, but it's been so so much fun doing it as a one man band that uh, I'm undecided. Uh, so essentially doing a lot of what I'm doing now, but trying to keep growing it and trying to get more professional players. I'll, I'll happily offer my services as a work experience kid. <laughs> Jesus, you're an old work experience kid, mate. I like Bobby Boucher's, you know, I'm 46 years old. Or 30, <laughs> or whatever, 36 years old. Um, okay, well, that's exciting, you know, and I'm sure you have in your head a plan of who you want to see, all that stuff. So you must have to consistently keep up with what's happening each week. I'm sure you have a list somewhere of what players come off contract and who they're represented by. Now, the boys on the Twill episode asked you this question the other night. So, obviously, Braith and Nasta is a prominent figure in the NRL media, Foxtel. He hosts that NRL 360. And he's also a player manager. So, not only is a conflict of interest, but or potentially, also at the same time, that doesn't make it fair for people like yourself who don't have this prestigious NRL background or a media background to, like... How do you suppose to compete with the likes of that? Do you think? Like, what do you? Well, it makes it very difficult because, as you said, he can there he can spruik for himself. Uh, you know, he can talk about what he's doing for his current players. He can also bump up the profile of his current players and spin a narrative. Uh, I mean, it's it's easy to with Cam Munster because he's arguably the best or one of the top three to yeah, five players in the game. So generational player, it, exactly. But say like yeah, you know, the other NRL guys he has signed who aren't quite as prominent. Like he can just keep blowing smoke up their ass and kind of convincing other clubs that, that they're better than they are to get overs and whatnot. And as you said, it's also, it's glitzy and glamorous to be like, oh, I'm signed with Braith and Astor. He's always on the TV. He's a personality. Look look at him. Look at him go. That's that's my manager. So it does make it very difficult. Um, and it also makes it difficult that there's currently a few big agencies and they kind of manage a large percentage of the current NRL players. So really coming into the market on, as your own and trying to make it from there. Uh, is really difficult, but I'm glad that you know I'm starting to get a small market share and just wanted to keep growing. Yeah, I, you know, I, and I guess the way you'd sell it as well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you wouldn't want to treat them as a number, you know, with these big recruit, big mobs. You know, it's bad, bad comparison, but I just recently went through and watched the show Entourage. And Vinny Chase is the movie like star, and Ari Gold is, is his manager and always his agent. And they talk about like, he starts again his little place and expands it. Oh, excuse me and he just he talks about like eventually becomes this powerhouse but to get to that point he's like you know you're my number one I want to look after you and if you go around treat, making all your clients feel valued is that what it's all about? Well that's my selling point and I do have very good personal relationships with every single one of my players I take time to meet them speak with them and things like that whereas other some of the big player agencies they have in their contracts I'm only going to contact you twice a year and you're going to be happy with that Wow so a lot of them go, I haven't heard from my manager in months, so I leave them messages, emails, nothing. And then they come off contract and that's when they come to me because they hear that I do have good, the good relationships with my guys. You know, the older ones in the off-season I can grab a beer with or a coffee with. You know, the younger ones I can meet with them and their parents or do Zooms or calls together. And because I am younger, I think I'm one of the youngest player managers, a lot of them just DM me on social media and we just have a chat. And what I are you, 28, are you? Yeah, 28. So I can sort out a lot of issues with them and keep up with their lingo and I think I mainly understand what they're trying to say to me. Fucking millennials, eh? You know, in technically, if you're 26 to 41, that Gen X, that's that's like the end of Gen X, Gen Y, they're millennials, not the current generation coming through. I didn't know that the other day. So yeah. I, was, I was talking with it to Norts, and Norts, shout outs to you, Norts, if you're listening. 
he's like he's uh what eight nine years older than I, and we're, we're the same generation. It blew my mind hole. <laughs> Little fun fact for you. Zen, <laughs> now you know. Um, but well, that's cool, man. Um, and I like to hear stories of people going from strength to strength, like, and to see you striving towards it. Please, Mitch. Please. Um, sorry, I, I really do like a lame pun, and for anyone who is cringed by it. No, you can always have a refund or your money back. There you go. The joke is it's a free podcast. Anyways, I'll edit this part out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Keep it in. But um, yeah, so next year, go on the brand. And I'll, you know, good luck with the renegotiation as well. That sounds exciting. Yeah, it really is. It's hopefully going to be wrapped up by Monday. So. And has it, dealing with all the clubs, has it given you a chance to meet some big NRL well, that's what, I was, as well. that's what I was saying. I have met a lot. I didn't want to just start name dropping. No, no, you don't have to. But, but like, yes, yeah, so I met some of the quote-unquote royalty and some of the big names that everyone knows that even the people that don't follow rugby league would know. And yeah. So that, that's been super exciting. Um, yet, to, yet to meet boyhood hero Darren Lockyer, but that's still, still on the list and I want to do that Full one day. to the boys. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd like to meet, um, I'd like to meet Gal properly and have a chat with him. And Luke Lewis. I've always admired the fuck out of Luke Lewis as a player. Now he's on the ABC grandstand. So he was in my orientation to be a player manager, and I just don't think he followed through with it. Yeah, he pro- I think, well, I don't know why, but he's, he's he's pretty heavily involved in the ABC media now, so maybe that's why, who knows. He gets paid to do New South Wales Cup kind of uh, interviews and things like that as well, so yeah. I think he's found a different way to make money through the game. But is he a Because he's also one of the Sharks, um, like, so him and Gal are their forward coaches. Is he allowed to do that if he's involved in the club? No, so that's probably why he stops maybe being a manager. So, maybe that's why. Yeah, there's a rule that says you're not allowed to be involved in any any club in any which way from the NRL down if you're a player manager. And that's why it's kind of strange that but you can be a TV personality with Fox Sports or Channel 9, but you can't be involved with the club. Yeah, I remember you were also speaking to the boys about Gus Gould was supposedly to do it as well, but now he's the... Pretty much the head of football at the Bulldogs. Maybe that's why he doesn't do it. Well, at the time, it was actually the Warriors' head of football. Well, there you um, go. He, yeah, a month later after he missed the orientation, that was announced. So it made sense. Yeah, well, I, you know, say what you will of Gus. He does know what he's doing. He, loved, he knows the game well. And they're not my club, but I wish the dogs all the best too. Like, it's good to see him finally starting to do well and on the upwards. So. He's super courteous and respectful. And when you speak with him, he remembers things about you as well. So he's, Gus he, does? Yeah, he's a great great guy. Um, yeah, nice. Say what you want about him as a TV personality. I know lots of people love to rip into him, but he's a fantastic bloke. I like Gus. I like he, When he tells his stories on his pod, he's, he's, he's a fucking crack up too. But anyways. Yeah, lives and breathes football as well. Oh, that's good. Um, is there anyone else, is there anyone in the community that you can name that surprised you as to how nice they actually were? Or you, can't, or you can't really name drop like that. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, that end, you end up just name dropping. But a lot of people, I'd say 90% of the people you speak to are really nice and pleasant and remember things. And there's about 10% that are just assholes. Yeah, so, okay. um, and there's some that's just like, they, they carry themselves out like they're still a great great NRL player or, you know, a bit of a prima donna. And like at, at this day and age, like, I don't know if you can operate like that. So... And a lot of them are sort of new to the scene without giving away anything. So fair enough. Well, we'll have to talk later over beers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of that, that's for um, the private episodes, which cost uh, three ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> Only fans. <laughs> yeah. Me bitching about old rugby league players. The, the real bitch with Mitch. <laughs> well, if anyone out there is listening to this, who who is a huge fan of the game, and is thinking to themselves, you know what, I'm going to have a crack at, you know, it might not be, obviously not to be a player agent. But yeah, like if obviously might not be to be a player agent, but if anyone's out there listening, you know what? There's something I've been wanting to try for the longest time. What advice would you give to that person? 
I think always give it a go. You don't want to live your life with regrets, thinking, wondering what could have been. Even if you tried and it doesn't work out, then at least you know you tried it. Um, and if anyone did actually want to try and become a player manager or learn more, my DM's always open. I'm always pretty responsive. Um, obviously, don't don't send me essays to answer or anything like that. But if you did want to have a quick chat, I'd be happy, happy to explain the landscape in the most basic form to anyone. Where do people find you? Uh, at Strive Play Agency on Instagram. Um, also, have Stri- it's Strive Play Agency NRL on Facebook. Uh, otherwise, you can submit a contact form through my website, which is just striveplayagency.com.au. Yeah, I'll, and I'll include all the links in this week's bio. Um, but yeah, like man, we've been talking for almost an hour. Goes pretty quick. Uh, I, I appreciate the chat, and I know some of the tour boys will be listening. So shout outs to you all. Hope everyone's well. Um, so you, Glenny, fuck you. Um, you know, like I try to be nice to him during Magic Round, just a sour, sour man sometimes. Yeah, it was strange. Sometimes he's really rude to me, and then sometimes he's really nice to me. He's kind of leads me on a bit and then just tears me down. So I'm not, I'm not sure where we stand, <laughs> but I do have a standing invite to stay at his house. So I'll, I'll probably go up there and never leave. Well, yeah, well, you know what? I pro- if I got a genuine invite to go to Toowoomba, I'd probably go as well. Yeah, I think it's a one-off, maybe twice. I just had a player sign for Toowoomba, actually, so maybe it's a good excuse to go watch him. Yeah, actually, no, I love you, Benny. You go right, mate. And Nate and Jay, if you do listen to this, sup. But anyways, like, I might, we might leave it there because we could talk for ages. Um, I definitely want to ask questions that are off air. And, but for now, man, I appreciate your time. And thanks for putting up with me and down here in this capital city. And um, let's go get some beers, eh? <laughs> always a pleasure, mate. Time to get on the beers. No worries. Well, as always, thanks everyone for listening. That was episode 66 of the regular episodes. And I uh, hope everyone's well. As always, if you want to be on the show, go to the website or the socials, hit me up. And hope everyone's well. Catch you on the next one. Bye for now. <laughs>